And welcome everybody to the Between Two Wheels podcast, doing another great combo episode with Rob Dalto of Tour Breakaway Podcast. Welcome, Rob. We're going to do the 2021 Tour de France. You jacked up and ready to go? I am. I mean, it's the Grand Bucoulis, what we've been waiting for. Right. And see, that's why... It could be more exciting than this. And that's why you're here. You give a little flair to the words. I just... Grand Bucal? I don't know. (laughs) You do the proper pronunciations. You give the proper words. And we are ready to go. So, what? First of all, before we even go break down into this, um, what is kind of your just immediate takeaway of this Tour de France uh, coming up, and, and what you're kind of excited to see? Well, it's—I uh, mean, parkour-wise, it's pretty standard, traditional Tour de France route. Uh, I do very much appreciate that we're going to have excitement from the jump. Usually, yeah. you're either going to get a prologue or a day for the sprinters. We don't have that. We've got two days for the punchers in Brittany. So it really sets up an interesting week one where just about anybody can wear the yellow jersey who usually wouldn't have an opportunity to do so. Uh, So that's really exciting. And then again, we're going to finish with uh, something to hold our breath with. Hopefully, probably not as dramatic as last year's Punch to Belfi time trial, but another decisive time trial in stage 20. So from the start and from the end, we'll have stuff to look at. Yeah, totally. Uh, Mine is kind of similar where uh, stage two, I think that's the Mir de Mir de Britannia, we got to get that right. Uh, that's going to, and we can look back at kind of history of either people were winning there and went on to win the tour or they were in yellow and they went on to win the tour. So it's kind of a decisive little uh, early on situation that we have. And then a two time going up Mont Ventoux, which to me, those are yep. both exciting. So uh, maybe we'll just throw up on screen first, the actual route, take a look here. Uh, starts over in the far, far left corner, uh, as you're looking at the map, the the west side of France goes across the middle, uh, hits over on the mountains just north and hits the Alps there, comes on down, hits Mont Ventoux, like we said, the Pyrenees, and then straight up to Paris. So, uh, you know, we had kind of made a little mention of this when we were first talking here. Do um, you want to do the route first? Do you want to do the riders first? We've got it up. So let's look at that route. I mean, Brittany. And so the one thing I've heard already is like the weather forecast is not good okay so they're expecting a, a lot of rain for the first couple of days and for these guys that are going to be jockeying for a position on the first two first two stages in particular my understanding is that there's there's not the three kilometer rule in effect so they're going to be jockeying for a position straight to the finish which which could play a little bit of factor in how aggressively they go after the finale so yeah let's pull up the route let's go through it okay so maybe we'll do stages here um i could do it off of cycling tips i mean uh, pro cycling stats and or um so the preview or steep hill maybe steep hill will just be a little quicker for this one here okay uh so stage one breast to landerno is that uh, the proper pronunciation we got there uh oh, I'm, I'm no good with french i only say the words i know how to say i skip the rest <laughs> of them okay uh 176 kilom- 197 kilometers uh with some lumps in there some cat fours threes mixed in so you're going to see some people probably break trying to get up the road there uh, either to establish some uh, kom points 
Um, but if not, we've got uh, sprinters waiting in the wings. You think this this has a kick up at the finish too? Anything uh, notable about this stage? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to see a break because, like you said, King of the Mountain points on offer, and so long as they get to the sprint point, whoever's there first is going to wear the the KOM. So long as they were able to be uh, first to the line on on the majority of those first four categorized climbs, but yeah, looking at that finale, three kilometers at five point seven. Uh, my understanding is the first two of that are the steeper of the three kilometers, but that's going to be too much for a sprinter. So, you know, typically you'd look at something like this with a couple fours and threes and you say, yeah, yeah, they'll make it. But this is going to be, this is going to be a day for the punchers and anybody who's really interested in wearing the yellow Jersey in that first week is going to be, is, is it going to be having a go at it? And, and also the fact that they don't have a three kilometer rule in effect, even some of the GC guys are going to be, are going to be messing around trying to get in the mix there. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. And, you know, look, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. We could talk about some of the sprinters coming up. You know, actually, I'm going to use this other uh, pro cycling tips. I think they give a little bit better uh, the profile, but um, you can see the last kicking there in the finishing profile. Um, it does have a little bit of something. This might be more of a, and I think he's actually here, but the Sonny Cabrelli style sprinter, if it comes to a group, Greg Van Avermont, you know, those kind of, Philippe. I mean, he's mm-hmm. going to be primed, obviously, for that. So, um, but yeah, you've got to kick up to the finish. So it will be uh, somewhat interesting there. So stage two, um, this is the one that I'm I'm kind of excited about. We've had some some good history with. Um, it's, what do we have here? 200, uh, that's the meters here. I'm going to have to look at, uh, do you know the distances? 180, on yeah, it's 183 okay. kilometers. And like you said, it's got that steep kick at the finale, that two kilometers at 6.9%. Yeah, it's got a, a middle section there that's uh, the steepest section. Uh, but yeah, 6.8 or 6.9. Um, fun facts, I've got some on this. Uh, the longest Tour de France uh, individual time trial went over the mirror the first time they did that in 1947, 139-kilometer time trial. So think about <laughs> think about that, uh, but pretty wicked. Uh, a few little uh, nuggets here. So they went over at 2011, Cadell Evans won it. Um, he was real close to the – he ended up winning the GC that year. Alexi Villamuz uh, in 2015 over Dan Martin, uh, and Froome was in yellow at that point. He ends up winning it overall. Dan, That was stage uh, like eight, so the other one was stage four. So it's always coming in early. Dan Martin in 2018 wins this. Um, Garrett Thomas is, goes into yellow and he ends up holding on to the yellow uh, for the win there. And that's also when uh, Tom Dumoulin had a little drafting incident, I believe, lost some time. So my point on that is just looking at this real simply, you're either in yellow or you win the stage and you go on to win. So it's somewhat been, um, at least before, now this is, you know, it's two to uh, stages two to eight or four to eight or so. Now this is stage two, I, we're probably not going to see that but it was just an interesting little tidbit that you're, you're close to it there. That's a pretty great tidbit. And I mean, to that point, if you want to play it up, I mean, the, the, with this level of incline, this is going to be punchers. And I think some of the GC guys, you could, this is something that Roglic could definitely win. So uh, yeah. who knows? Maybe we see him in yellow as early as stage two, very potentially. And that would be, that'd be quite interesting. It's also mind-boggling. You said 149-kilometer time trial. I just heard a stat yesterday on on, um, on another show. The longest stage in Tour de France history, 482 kilometers. Yeah, that's, that. Th- those are back in the day, right? 1919. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they're basically riding square tires, right. square wheels back yeah. then, so well, it's that's, scary. Well, that's what's even more frightening about it is uh, – 
the, the technology that they had and then the I mean how many days did it take them to do that stage the they did it one day I think they said it was uh 19 uh no I don't, I don't want to misquote it it took a long time yeah uh, but they did get it done in one day all right well that's good for them okay stage uh three Lorient to Pontevis 182.9 kilometers um a little more punchy but not as punchy as the first two days so maybe a sprinter day yeah, definitely sprinter day three and four. They're get, sending it back to the sprinters, and uh, yeah, look for look for the fast guys on this one because you got a flat run in after that downhill. Everyone's gonna be looking at Caleb Ewan, and I'd have to guess that he'd be the odds favorite for for stage three and and probably for stage four as well before yeah. the time trial. And we'll jump to stage four right away. Uh, very much flat. No no cat fours or threes or any of them on there. Just a sprint spot in the middle. I don't know if there's uh, bonus seconds at all on offer for. Do you know if they're doing bonus seconds for sprints and or uh, finishes. Uh, good question. I know there are bonus seconds throughout the course, but I don't believe they're on every stage. Uh, good question. I don't. I don't think they are available on this stage. All right. Then we go to stage five. So look, you're going to have some GC shakeups. Like we said, stage one and two could definitely do that. Stage five, we get an individual time trial. Definitely going to obviously, you know, bring the GC guys out, uh, and you're going to even see that filtered more. But this time trial doesn't look too. I don't know. I, I, technical wise, it's it's a horseshoe. Looks like uh, almost meets up there, almost sort of full, uh, really sloppy circle. Uh, but as far as elevation goes, it's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, very flat. This is a high-powered time trial to 27 kilometers. You got about a dozen turns that you need to bother with. Um, so yeah, the the big time trial guns are going to be are going to be out on this one. The Stefan Kungs of the world. Uh, Bisegger should be in play, right? And then, of course, the silver world silver medalist Wout Van Aert. So it'd be actually be interesting if Wout's in contention or or even just holding his guys close to the front. You could definitely see somebody like Wout Van Aert pull on the yellow jersey after a stage like this, right? So let's. I don't want to get into too much about uh, strategy as far as because we'll maybe go over that with the teams. But that's a sure. great point because we don't know where what that team is really going to be focusing on. Do you actually let Wout do that? Or do you just make sure that this time, you know, everyone is, is really focused on, on uh, Roglic? Totally. Okay. Uh, stage six, we're moving along here. Tours to Chateau, 160.4 kilometers. Uh, not a lot of, not a long stage either. And run around 100 miles. And once again, not really any climbs. Another sprint stage, definitely. And I believe this is the one I heard somebody mention might be where uh, Mark Cavendish had his first career win at oh, the Tour de France. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, just so a, about that. A, a good call. Uh, and also just putting it into perspective around time trials, you're, you're, you you want to know, you know, what, what are teams going to do the day before we said it was somewhat flat. Well, you're definitely going to have GC riders wanting to sit in, right? So how does mm-hmm. that play in? Are the sprinters teams going to make sure that they, they pull on through that? Um, but, Time trials, you know, right around a day or so before or after or before we head into the mountains, uh, those always play a part as to what their uh, thinking is. Okay, uh, stage seven, we're getting uh, Brezon to La Croissant, 250 kilometers, 49.1 actually, uh, with some hills. So uh, stage seven, we're already got a time trial. We've already got some lumps and bumps in Mir de Bretagne. Now it looks like some some legit-ish climbs probably just enough to knock out the climbers though i mean the the sprinters yeah oh yeah no sprinters aren't going to survive this one you've got some some steep bits within there particularly that last cat two climb people's legs are going to be pretty spent by the time they get there my only fear is a breakaway gets too far up the road to reel back in because 
this would be a real exciting finish for for a lot of the punchers that are going to be gunning for it. So that while it might not overall be decisive in the in the race, this could be a real I mean just a real fun one to watch. Just the attacks going over those last couple couple ramps. Right. So you can see there is a cat two or a three, a two, and it ends on a four, but. Um, it doesn't end on a four. The four comes, you know, a little bit before the finish, and then we'll see what happens there. So uh, obviously setting up for a great, uh, great finish there. And, uh, and by the way, two hundred and forty-nine kilometers. Right. I mean, that is just going to absolutely kill the legs. So definitely, definitely no sprinter surviving that one. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd expect some attacks. Yeah, we'll get into tactics later. But for for some of those punchers who might be gunning for that yellow jersey in the first week. They could be making moves here either to protect it or maybe steal it back before they ultimately lose it um, yeah. when we look ahead to stage nine. Uh, definitely. Uh, stage eight, uh, Oyanox to La Grand Bernard, uh, 150. So they go, they went 250, and now they go back to uh, 150. Uh, but we've got a little bit of climbing going on here, um, starting to get towards the Alps as well. Yep, and what's interesting here is, is you know, it's easing into the mountains. You know, no, no ores right. category climbs yet, and the descent finish, which is going right. to be interesting because we'll see that twice here. Um, so some of the guys that might, you know, typically be attacking as the as the key mountaintop winners, but don't have the descending legs, will be interesting to see how they play it versus some of the guys that are known for their descending skills. If they just say, "I'm going to send it, see if I could get a gap and run it into the finish and turn ten seconds into a minute." Right, and, and it looks like it's about uh, 20K or so there to the finish you've got on the downhill, uh, but it's a jagged downhill, so it's not just uh, quite the smooth one. Uh, up the De La Colombière, uh, Cat 1, uh, 7.5, 8.4% at 7.5 kilometers. Um, yeah, that could definitely break things up, and once again, you're going to be sprinting or uh, racing and attacking to the top of the climb and then the descending, which we've seen you know, cause havoc for uh, many riders uh, going downhill. Yeah, and it's th this stage is is definitely harder than it looks because if you look at the penultimate climb, you've got eight point eight kilometers at eight point nine percent. Right, that's that's some really steep stuff. And then it's a short downhill. It's basically kind of like almost like a plateau before you ascend again to the Columbia. So there there's going to be gaps for sure right. uh, at that level of of incline. The greater than eight percent, you're really looking at true climbers um, to to be able to stay with the selection. Right. Right. Um, okay, let's go to stage nine. And this is, let me see, stage nine is because the Sunday, so before the rest day. And, you know, they like to have the, the weekend show off something. And here we're going to show off uh, some cat twos and HC in the middle and a cat one finish from, what is it, Clouses to Teens? I don't know. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah. And the thing that's remarkable about this one, so you've got the, un, the Col de Pre, the uncategorized, you know, or category climb. But then you're effectively climbing from 112 to 144 kilometers. So you've got 32 kilometers of climbing. They only categorize that last 21 at 5.6, but it's really 32 kilometers of climbing. So if that ends up being a, a hot, sunny day, uh, I mean, nutrition is going to be important. And you could just see guys cracking, even though it's not that steep of a climb, just because of the sheer duration of it all. Right, and then the finishing climb, yeah, is rated at twenty kilometers, twenty point eight, and uh, if you can see the profile there, you know it's got some red, some blue, some green, uh, some black, which is changes of of the the, the percentage mm -hmm. of the of the gradient, uh, which is just not always conducive for a, a, a motor, right? The, this is maybe more of a, a climber guy that likes to pitch and and roll and really make the changes of pace. So 
it could be an interesting day. Totally. Yep. All right. Then we have a rest day. And coming out of the rest day, we're out in the Alps there. We start out in Albertville. I think that's where they had the Olympics one year. Um, Albertville to Valence, 190.7 kilometers, a cap four a sprint. And, uh, you know, coming out of the rest day, once again, we don't necessarily know that could, that could have different effects on people. This doesn't look like it might be one of the roughest coming out of the rest day. So probably not too detrimental. Yeah, we've seen more carnage out of a rest day. Everyone should be able to stay, stay packed in here and, and get through just fine. Yeah. Um, so that one we're heading down, getting to stage 11. Soirjean to Malancene. I don't know. That's, that's a, I'm sure, slaughter on that one. And this one is, to me, the most exciting one uh, because they end up going up Mont Ventoux twice. And you can see they coming from, uh, they kind of come from the east, I'm sorry, the west side and up. And then they come up the spine, do it. They do a loop around the end and then come up the other side. So they hit the chalet both times in the, the main part. So you're going to have the top section of Mont Ventoux hit twice from the chalet on up uh, at least twice. Brutal. Yeah. And well, how do you feel about the descent finish on the Vontu stage and, and then having to call it a finale in, you know, whatever this town is that neither of us can pronounce versus <laughs> actually having a proper Vontu summit finish? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the point of that is necessarily. And I know they've had different uh, non-Tour de France races go off the back. Now, they did have, I'm trying to remember the year it was, but it was uh, Miguel Indurain who ended up winning. Uh, this guy, Eros Pauli, he was like the tallest guy in the field. He comes to the bottom of Mont Ventoux solo with like 27 minutes. He crossed the top with about two minutes, uh, I think, and ended up uh, going in for the win. But they were real concerned about going over the backside uh, and that descent, you know, twisty descent and kind of technical uh, for uh, Indurain. And but he he ended up keeping it upright. That was like the only way that you can hope that he loses in those era. Um, but I'm not super excited about the way it is. You know, it's always great to have that finish on the top with the you know barren hill up there. Um, I'm not sure why they're doing this. Maybe that town really paid a bunch of money. I don't know. Actually, that's that's probably a darn good reason because <laughs> yeah, I share that sentiment. I mean, it's such an iconic climb. There's other mountains that are less iconic to do the descent finish if you wanted to. And, you know, it, it's always epic to say when somebody, you know, they won, you know, they won on Vontu. And if you right. win on Vontu in yellow to boot, you're probably going to win the tour. Right. And now it's like, oh, I won the stage that features Vontu. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't do doesn't do the iconic day justice. No, but you are going to have to tune in early to make sure you're getting uh, both Fontu climbs. And then for imagine being a spectator up there, you actually get to see them once. And and you know it seems exciting, but I think all you're going to see the first time going up is uh, attrition, and then you're going to see a race the second time. Right? Yeah. It's think of it like you know the tourmalade before Luzard den or something like that. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be absolute carnage and. This is another one, 199 kilometers. Right. So not only are you doing Vontu twice, which is bad enough, but it's basically 200 kilometers to do it. Right. This so, you can see yeah, um, big gaps. Can, yeah, you could see some sprinters jettisoned maybe, and only 11 stages in. I mean, you know, uh, almost halfway. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yep. Oof, brutal. Uh, but I'm excited yep. for that one. So that, <laughs> that's what we have. Stage 12, Saint Paul Trois Chateau to Nîmes. Uh, 159.4. So they go from almost 200 down to, you know, 100, 100 miles here. Uh, the day after Von 2, it doesn't look all that sprite of climbing. I mean, it's got some jags there, but it only one cat three climb. Yeah, should be should be another day for the sprinters. Positioning's everything. 
uh, going to be about how well the teams assemble there just to keep their guys in the right position, but should be for the sprinters. Right. And this is a little bit more of a transition day uh, out of, you know, the Alps to the central Massif to going into the Pyrenees. And I'm not sure if this is one of those areas that is just kind of really sticky roads. I mean, you look at the, the actual topography map here and they just stick in the the high stuff. They don't decide to, to kind of go in the valleys. They're kind of going where the, the little more climbs are. So it's going to be a pitchy day. Um, not fun, I imagine. Yeah, they should be protected. I, I do know they want to get more of the crosswinds in. It's just something that actually disrupts the race and it, it ends up making the team tactics more important because you see the weaker teams get caught out and last year you look at who made the you know the, the stage where we saw the huge um gaps from the um from the crosswinds you saw the weaker teams uae tade pogacar we saw bahrain and Mikel landa they were amongst the ones that got caught out a minute and a half back because they were you know didn't have a strong team to keep them up front and that's going to you know, the more that they can incorporate stages with the crosswinds doesn't look like that'll be one, but the more they can do that, the more they can kind of in- inject some adversity to the race because for a lot of these mountain stages, the separations are like seconds, you know, 10 yeah. or 15 seconds yeah. here to maybe 20 seconds, but you know, the crosswind stage, you can lose a minute, two minutes. Well, I know how they could really do, you know, you look back at, like I said, the 1947, uh, the guy that won the time trial, <laughs> he beat the next guy by four and a half minutes and second, third place was almost seven. So if you want to put some gaps in there, do a uh, time yeah. trials over 130 miles, uh, 30 kilometers. Uh, okay. Nimes to Carcassonne, uh, 220 kilometers, basically 219.9. Um, or did we just talk about this? I don't think we did yet. Uh, getting nope, down on the coast a little bit. Yep. If you're on 13, that's a different stage. Uh, you're, you see, we're hugging the yeah. coast a little yeah. bit more and uh, should be a one for the sprinters. It looks like there's a little ramp finish, but I wouldn't put, put it past any of the sprinters. I mean, look at what folks like Caleb Ewan do on Hata Dam and, and places like that. They should be able to, to uh, get the job done there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see who's left at that point. Uh, and then they at least have some, looks like no transfers, same start and uh, stop city, uh, Carcassonne to Quillon, uh, 183.7, at least from stage 13 to 14. They're doing a few stages here where they go into a city, they finish, they start the next day in the same uh, village, I guess you would call it here. But starting to get into some, uh, some climbing stuff here. 183.7 kilometers, um, moving northward it looks like or are they coming down through oh no they head a little bit south into the and starting to hit the pyrenees a cat three a two yeah. a three a three and a two puncher city i mean anybody who's out for king of the mountains jersey might want to get in a break here pick up some points um probably going to be a big break and um they might they might take the day actually but um yeah these are these are fun ones to watch because you know if it comes back together you know somebody's going to attack over that final cat two climb and try to run it into the into the finish you got i mean you still have a decent bit 17 kilometers but most of it on a on a decent descent so uh, a puncher looking to looking to get a gap there can definitely do it right and this is a saturday so we also think about saturday you go to sunday and with sunday uh, the next day is a rest day so how are people prepping up for you know going into this and then what comes out of that once again so 14 uh, and then we get the saturday are we going to see a big mountain day for the saturday Nah, not too bad. It's got some cat ones, a two, uh, two more ones, and a downhill finish. Yeah, I think this is an, and this is when we crossed into Andorra. I, right. I think this one's going to actually be a bit of a, like I wouldn't want to be out there this day. So no. you kind of hit that first valley at thirty-five kilometers, and then you could co- co- go over that 
that uh, Font Romeo at 94. That's a six, 60 kilometer ascent. Now they're only categorizing that uh, Monte uh, Mont Louis at 8.4 at 5.7, but that's a long drag uphill. Yeah. And then when when you ascend, it, we kind of see again like what we had seen. Um, was it stage eight or, or nine where it was like you're kind of going up that cat two, then a very short descent before you have to then go up the count the cat one to uh, Envalira. And that is the highest point of the race. You're yeah. at 2408. So it, I think this is going to be a deceptively hard day out there. Um, and, you know, up in the up in the steep hills there of Andorra. Yeah. And I could see that you can have, you know, like what you said, that's this cat two, there's a little pitch and then it keeps going up. And then the Henri de Grand, uh, which is the, the highest point in the, the, the race. Uh, and I could see this where you've got Ineos or Jumbo or one of these teams grinding it away, especially when you start getting into high altitude and you just have people, you know, pitching off the back uh, rather than uh, much action going up front. However, once again, we said this is the Saturday or the Sunday. So you, you know, have the rest day the next day. Some people are more willing to uh, take a bigger bite of the apple, so to speak. Absolutely. All right. So we got a rest day. We come out flying out of uh, stage 16 now. Uh, pass. El Paz de la Casa to Saint-Jean-Garon. Oh, come on, people. Uh, 169 kilometers. <laughs> they need the yeah, French to English pronunciations here. Uh, and once again, you have the rest day, and then you have uh, some high mountains in the middle, but it doesn't look all that devastating with a, a two and a four, but maybe I'm just uh, full of it because it is a lot of up and down. Look, it's not as friendly as the as stage 10 after the first rest day, but it, it certainly could be more brutish. Um Look, if somebody's legs fall out from under them on a day like this, it's a, it's a really bad sign. You know, and we see that sometimes, particularly on the second rest day. Right. So all we can do is sit and watch on this one. Right. And I think, um, you know, like I always say, one leads to the next and you don't have to look days ahead, even though maybe as a, a fast and furious, you live your life a quarter mile at a time. But the next day, have some big uh, HC category climbs and it's going to be a leg breaker. So uh, stage yeah. 17, Muret to saint larry Soulon, the, the Col de Portet, uh, 178.4 kilometers, uh, you know, straight into it with a sprint, a cat one and one and an uh, HC. So they uh, backload this one. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, this is this is the queen stage and where you should see the biggest gaps. I mean, and it just reminded me now thinking back to what we just looked at at 16 in terms of who may make a move. Guys who lost times and are out hunting stages, they're going to want to go on 16 knowing that the GC guys, to your point, are going to want to be saving for 17 and 18. So we'll probably see some of those hopeful top 10 hopefuls that lost it having their go back at 16. But yeah, I mean, look at this. The Col de Portet. 16 kilometers at 8.7 after right. two cat ones. Are you kidding me? Right. Um, yeah, that is just going to be absolute, absolutely hell. And um, yeah, it's, this is, I think this should be the, this should be the queen stage. This should be uh, where we're going to see some really interesting tactics, particularly between those teams that have multiple options and those that don't like UAE and, and Yumbo. Um, so this is where a lot of guys are going to let it all hang out. Yeah. And uh, the call the Parasaur, the call the Val Laurent, um uh, and also like i said the portet some uh, nasty climbing going on there and that is what do we have stage 17 so uh, just imagine just imagine that lead in so like looking at guys that are going to have to control for their teams like Luke Rowe for Ineos and Tony Martin right. and if Julian Alphilippe's still going for it they're going to have to clerk up front they have to pull like 100 113 kilometers to the sprint point to to keep probably keep the breakaway in check before they start hitting <laughs> these climbs 
those guys are going to be very, very tired. Right. <laughs> come the top of the Golden Portet. So hopefully they got a cold one ready for them. Or you, you hope that BNB, Total Direct Energy, and some of these others collaborate to kind of get up the road and take the pressure off. So you just, hey, get up there and do your thing. Uh, exactly. However, stage 18, uh, this this might be the queen for me because you have not only you have the Tourmalet and then the Luzardi Den. So two very iconic climbs out there in the Pyrenees, an HC and an HC. Uh, 129 kilometers, so maybe one of the shorter stages you've had for the mountains, but with the two HCs that they have, the Tourmalet to really soften you up, and then just the legendary Luzardi Den getting close to the finish as well. It's kind of last chance saloon for some of these climbers. Yeah, and it's, and it's one of, and I'm curious if you could zoom in on the course map a little bit. This is one of the longer descents. So like what we saw in a lot of these other mountains is we've got an ascent, but then it's a it's a short descent before the next descent. And this is one of the longest. You've got 94 to 104. So you've got basically a 20. I mean, if you include the flat, you've got over a 20 kilometer descent uh, before you have to do that final climb to the lose Ardiden. Is it a relatively straightforward descent or is there going to, is it technical with zigzags? From Can the Tourmalet to the to the Luz already done. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Okay. From my from my re- recollection of just at least watching it, I mean, it's uh, none of them are, are that straightforward. But uh, uh, this doesn't seem to be too. I mean, I'm trying to look at the best I can the, the there, but I don't remember too. You know, look the the Luz already done has some storied uh, wrecks itself, not the descent, but you know Lance Armstrong and Ivan Mayo getting caught up in the bag there. That was uh, that was famously done. So. Um, Maybe they need to worry a little bit more about the uphill than the downhill. But yeah. once again, so Loser Already Den has played some great roles in this. Uh, Greg LeMond and Bernardino in the 85 tour, uh, where LeMond was way up the road, and they told him, hey, wait, wait for Bernardino. And so he did, thinking that they was just 30 seconds behind. He was minutes back. You know, it ruins his chances there. He does end up uh, kind of regaining himself uh, a Loser Already Den, I think it was in 90, with... Uh, uh, Miguel Andrain, it was one of the first times we really saw him come to the fore. End up, Greg ends up second, but he overtook Claudio Chiapucci there. One of my favorite stages ever is the 87 Tour de France. Uh, Dagata Lawrence in a 7 He gets up the road with Davis Finney. Davis gets spit out, but Dagata Lawrence ends up winning on the day. Fabio uh, Lucha Herrera, I think, came in there, but uh, Andy Hampston, I think, it was third on the day. Did a great showing. Of course, bonked out later on Von Two, but. It was uh, one of the great stages for me to watch. So I, I grew up watching that one over and over. Just a little that's already in history. Well, we know where you'll be on uh, July, what would that be, 15th? Then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be watching it there. Uh, okay, so getting near the end, though. Um, Marant to Le Bourne, 270 kilometers. And everyone's like, hey, climbers are done. We're going into let the sprinters take over if there's any left over. Exactly. Yeah, not much to see there as a cat for early on. And look at it, just straight line north south. Yeah, it's, uh, that's it. This is kind of one of those. You know, you asked about the uh, going around Bontu and down and around and how they decide. This is one of those like we're just kind of tired at this point, even of putting on the on the the course. We're just going to go straight up the road. Yeah. Okay, prepping up for the final time trial. Now you said, is this the one that you were thinking is going to be a little bit more decisive like last year? I mean, it's obviously not. Well, it should be the Planche de Belfi. Overall. But. Yeah, overall less decisive than last year. It is. It's thirty kilometers. I think Planche de Belfi was thirty-six or thirty-eight, and yet you know the Planche de Belfi itself, the part that they summited was was a Cat Two climb. This is very straightforward. It's pancake flat like you see here. You've got about ten turns. So like when you compare it against the stage five, you've got less turns 
I think you've got a total of 10 turns you even need to pay attention to. And then that last straight, you've got like five plus kilometers straight line running into the finish for the for the Tour de France. So we're going to see some guys whose tongues are just on the floor trying to save every second they can run into that finish. And I kind of like that. That's just raw power. What can you lay down on the bike? You're never going to have to get off the handlebars for the last you know, five or eight minutes. It's going to be pretty epic. What'll be interesting at uh, maybe which year did Tom Dumoulin win the uh, the Giro when he was what second or third and he was chasing down Nairo and I mean a similar time of time trial flat and you, you can see the comparison he obviously he did it I'm wondering if you're going to see you know some of the big diesels having been put out of sorts on some of these climbs that we're, we're obviously taking a look at and you know this is their last chance that they could really uh, do something uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see yeah, I think for that one, it, it, there's a couple of the GC favorites who are really good at time trials who, you know, depending what the gaps are, can feel relatively secure about their positions, at least a little bit more secure than, than last year, the, you know, the Pogacar Roglic right. situation. But if you're if, if it's one of the weaker time trialist guys, like if we see like Superman Lopez up there or, right. or even Richie Carapaz isn't right. that strong at the time trial, some of these guys are going to be sitting ducks for guys who really want to be on the podium and have that strong TT. And I mean, last year we saw uh, Superman, he was third, you know, after he had that epic win on Colt de la Loche, the biggest, you know, really the queen stage of that race, he was sitting third, ready to lock up his uh, third podium, one in each grand tour, and then got thrown all the way back to sixth place on the planche de Belfi. And, you know, you would think, Oh, well, for a climber, that would be a time trial he could handle. And he got absolutely spat out. So um, yeah, if, if you're one of those weaker time trial guys on stage 20 this year, Knowing what happened last year, they're going to be a little bit nervous. Right. And then you just have the fact that it's uh, after three weeks and, um, you know, it's just a little bit different. You know, I saw this, uh, uh, it was during the Giro and I was watching um, Wiggins talk about the time trials and he's talking about these GC guys as the final time trial sitting on the, really on the nose of their saddle. And his point Mm -hmm. was they have not been, and as someone who does time trials every once in a while and, and you did triathlons you could probably understand this you know sometimes you get really on that nose and you're just not comfortable and you're sliding around a lot and he's like pointing it out and he's like the reason is they're not used to being in that position and elongating their legs so this is a, a time trial technique position of just uh, you know root me- muscle memory in a sense and um, you know the riders that you can see overcoming some of these little issues that may really have a big effect um, could obviously be a big deal in the final time trial so how'd you like yeah, the Giro totally. by the way Look, Egan Bernal, he brought it back and he got it done. And now, you know, going into that race, uh, he was like super emotional. And I, I, I kind of, I kind of had the sense of like he's emotional because he's ready to like make his vengeance on the world tour scene, and was just delighted that he got it done. It, it was like kind of, you kind of had this little nervousness in the back of your mind the whole time, especially when he won um, that stage. Was it Campo Felice, the one where they they went up into the gravel, and he was just stomping on the yeah. pedals. Yeah. And I was just like, this is so violent. It makes me nervous. I hope you're good. Um, but then, uh, you know, the Montalcino stage, he came through. And, yeah, to see him win was was really exciting. And now that he's he got blessed by the Pope, oh. um, I think they should just put him in the Tour de France because he'll never lose again after you get, like, blessed by the Pope. Um, it's like right. you, you know, nothing can ever go wrong again. So, yeah, I was happy with that. And then, the you know, the, the quick step drama was, like, second to none. Um, so that's that's really fun if you want to spend time on that <laughs> between uh, between between Remco and um, 
uh, uh, what's his what's his name? Jalameda. Jalameda. Yeah, when he got called back to support Remco, and you know, ended up losing two minutes there. That would have made a big difference for him when he right. you know ended up really being one of the best climbers in the last week. And those those couple seconds would have had him darn close to the podium. Well, and, and we'll we'll finish this off. But I just thought, it, since you're here, it's great to talk to you about this. Uh, my analysis on that is that their um, quick steps problem was at all given a shared uh, team leadership. What are you doing? I know you love Remco, great, da 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 da. But you had a guy that had been in the pink jersey forever last year. Um, he's been doing pretty well, and then you have a guy who hasn't raced since he went over the bridge. I don't mm-hmm. know what you're doing putting even equal, uh, you know, st- at all. I mean, it, so to me, that was just a fundamental flaw, but it's the, the fever fever. So. Yeah. There's some Belgian bias there for sure. <laughs> the, the, but the, then the thing I wondered, so Joe made a lost four and a half minutes on that, on the first climbing day. I think it was stage right. three. Right. I like, didn't get what that. was the conversation in the, on the team bus? Like for him to lose four and a half minutes that day, it seemed obvious. It made sense to a you know bystander say oh he lost four and a half minutes this guy just doesn't have the legs he something's going on but he turned out to be good so you know did, did he have like a bad stomach was there something like acute about that day that right. he didn't properly communicate to say like hey actually i am really good and like let's like don't make this decision prematurely or was he just quiet i just don't know i'm really interested to know like how those conversations went and how he was feeling when he lost four and a half minutes because that is a, I mean, it is a very dramatic amount of time to lose on an opening climb of a Grand Tour. I, I, totally, I, I, with you on that one, which does then say, you know, to them justify their reasons for switching over. But even before the gravel, the Strada Bianca type day, he had kind of reassessed him or reestablished himself uh, in the climbing. So uh, anyway, well, totally. Uh, speaking of climbing, you got the biggest climbing day of all, Paris. Champs Elysees, 108.4 kilometers. Uh, one of my least favorite days of racing. Uh, I try not to tune in until they hit the Champs, and then I will at least watch that. Uh, I hate all the the pomp and circumstance of the the wine glasses and all this stuff. And so, anyway, what do you think of this? I actually enjoy when they have a time trial, like on the Giro, the last day. Yeah. Uh... Look, I got to say, I feel a little bit the opposite. I mean, it's fun watching the guys. Look, when Egan Bernal was drinking the champagne in 2019, I was like, he slugged it down. I was like, this guy might be drunk. Like, right. You better you better check this guy. He's not might've a very been, big guy drinking that champagne a full, full glass. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, you do you, – you, the thing is, you know exactly what's going to happen. Like, right. you know, there's people going to attack with a couple laps to go, and it's all going to come back together, and it's going to be a bunch sprint. Um but the reality is, there. I mean, for these guys, there's there's nothing bigger in the sport than winning that sprint. And um, look, if if Cavendish makes it that far, this is going to be one of the most tuned into stages of the Tour de France in a long time. The thought of him winning there um, will just have cycling fans of the last couple of generations totally dialed in to see. Right. No, I I agree with that. And uh, one thing I do know, love about the the last day there is. It's and you'd think they would learn from this, which is they seem to have an area right next to the sprint, and they have a motorbike, and they have the camera. So it's a fi- it's a camera on the bike that goes with the pace of the sprint, and it's one of the best sprint finishes you can have. Now, may, I don't know, you always have crowds everywhere, but it seems like they could run something like they do at the dog tracks or something. You know, that's along the line with the the bunny yeah, rabbit, like and, track and field. Yeah, yeah, and and it would be a great way to finish that uh, the sprinting all the time. But anyway, so I do like that about that that finish. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, 
thanks. I appreciate you acknowledging that. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go to. I don't know if you can see this well enough, but um, the teams it's, themselves. I thought we'd walk through because I the way I like the the steep hill one is they have a bunch. It's just um, the way that the, the I don't know if it's alphabetical or what, but the 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 lower class teams first, and we will just break through each one of these. If you have anything to say about any of these teams, um, we'll start with Total Direct Energy. Um, anybody on that team, I, Bosenhagen, I know that he used to be, um, you know, quite the, the kind of punchy sprinter. I haven't really seen much of him since he left Quebec, left Quebec. Uh, other than that, they have Pierre Latour, Turgis, uh, they're just going to be a team for the breaks, I imagine. Yeah, they're, they're definitely gonna be a team for, for the breaks. I, I don't, I don't see anything too exciting there. The, the one guy that is, is kind of on the up and up is actually Anthony Turgis. Um, he was second at Kerner Brussels, Kerner. Right. Uh, eighth at Flanders, ninth at Ghent Wevelgem, tenth at Milan San Remo. So he had a really good spring campaign. You know, it, it, it's quiet because he's only on the podium once at Kerner Brussels Kerner. But those are pretty good results for a direct energy team. So, you know, early stages, you know, we got those like basically Brittany style classics. Um, I could see him having a go there. He's probably going to be out, you know, out muscled. Um, but definitely a guy that if he's in a break that goes pretty far into a stage. Uh, one of those bumpy ones. He could he could be there. He could be in the mix. Right. Uh, Team Arkea Samsic. Obviously, we know about Nairo, but uh, Bahani's in there. Uh, Connor Swift, uh, Warren Barghee, uh Daniel McClay. I think he can uh, sprint okay as well. Uh, but Nasser Bahani coming to the tour. Yeah, he's back. It'd be interesting to see what he does. Um, honestly, I'd love to see him win a stage, just because then you get all the all the social media uproar and you know everyone will remember how much they hate him or don't hate him or right. or how fairly or unfairly he was treated i remember when uh gianni moscon won the stage uh last month i you know i put up a post on the instagram i usually put up a post oh, to world tour stages no comments like it got the least likes of anything because people just hate the guy right and um you know when with the buhani incident there was there was a lot more chatter and um I'd have to pull up the stats. A lot of people thought he deserved to be suspended for more than three months. I think that was the majority of votes that came in. Um, ended up being less than that. You know, it ended up being a kind of a a sympathy movement towards him with um, you know the threats that he was getting, which are of course um, unfair. But yeah, I'd like to see him win one. I don't know if he will. I don't. I don't think he's got the train for it. But I'd love to see him in the mix um, just from that regard. Right. I don't and, think um, he doesn't have the train, and I don't think he. Um, surfs wheels as well as like a Cadell Evans. For, so he's just not, um, and he doesn't have quite the punch. He, well, literally as he used to, but <laughs> he might have the punch. Um, but uh, the last thing on them. So Nairo, I just saw yeah. this came out today. Nairo declaring that he's going to go for stages. Did you see that? He's not going to contend for GC. No, but that's about the wisest thing he's said in a while. So that's good. I to- totally agree. Yeah. Cause he has not been, I mean, you've watched him in uh, Perry Nice and some of these others. She's just not, he gets dumped a little too early. Uh, he's kind of there and he's, you know, top 15 ish. And is that what they want? No. Yeah. He's going to get beat up in this tour if he went for GC and, and I wasn't bullish on him coming to season. He had double knee surgery in the off season. He was off the bike for three months and like, sure. He's, he's been on the bike long enough that he's got an okay baseline, but he, he's doesn't have what it, um, what it takes this season to be in the top 10. And, And I agree. I'd love to see him get out in a break late and, and take a stage. That would be a win for him. Right. Uh, Intermarchi, Wanti, Gobert, Marilo, whatever it is. Uh, Tuvan Popples in the mix there. Uh, Louis Menchus, which used to have some. Can you see that good enough? Or do you want. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, okay. I can see it. Uh, Louis Menchus, who used to be, you know, kind of a little up and comer there. Uh, I haven't really seen that he's taken on what he, what we could think. Jan Bacalantz, 
Uh, what do you think of them? Probably once again, just uh, they might go for a top, you know, fifteen with Louis. Yeah, I mean, since he contended for the white jersey, he just hasn't had it. They might. I I think Intermarche is going to be looking for camera time, and they're going to get some, but it ain't going to be at the finish of a stage. Right, and the the Van Poppels, uh, they sprint okay, but not quite like uh, one of their dads or the uncle for the other one. So, uh, speaking of Brian Cockard coming in with B and B Hotels, who else do they have? Chevrolet, Pirellon. I mean, this is a stage hunter. This is uh, nothing more than that. Yeah. Yeah, look, BM, you know, Brian Cocard, he, he's consistently in the mix for them at least, yeah. um, which is you know more than you can say for some of the other teams. So I'd expect him to be there. You know, he's probably not going to do much better than uh, like a stage podium finish, but he's there in the mix. I maybe I'm wrong, but I tend to think of him somewhat like a Sonny Cabrelli who can get over some of these climbs and be maybe one of the better cl- uh, sprinters in a smaller group. Uh, but I haven't really seen much of him in the last few years. So, yeah, totally. And I think Quentin Parche didn't he get a? I thought he might have snuck a win in early in the season in, a, right. in an off. Um, Sounds familiar. Wasn't a pro, but uh, in a smaller race. Either way, yeah. And then we keep uh, moving. One of the one <laughs> of the yeah, Alpha's and Phoenix. One of the I, they have two. Well, three there that I'm I'm very uh, interested in. Obviously, Matthew Vanderpol, uh, Jasper Philipson, and Tim Miller. Uh, or Merlier, yeah. I don't know what you want to say it. Uh, what do you think of them and their prospects, and specifically Vanderpool? Yeah, well, Vanderpool, look, he's out for glory on week one. He wants to put on the yellow jersey. He's making it his his mission. He's been a little bit under the weather apparently, um, and you know he didn't didn't finish um, super well in his in his national title for the for the Netherlands. Um, but look. You can't bet against this guy. He's going to absolutely be doing everything he can for the first two stages. I think his best shot is on stage one with the slightly um, lesser gradient ramp. You know, we got, what was it, like three kilometers at 5.7 and the last kilometer not so bad. So it, the other guys are going to want to be going in there real hot to try to drop him. Um, otherwise, you know, the last K, he can absolutely light that up. And um, yeah, he'll be, he'll be on a bid for, for a jersey there. And then, yeah, well, I'll pause there unless you got, in, in case you no. have a reaction on Vanderpool. Well, I, I just think uh, it, I know he's, uh, I think he's targeting the Olympics. So I don't know how that's, you know, but I think he's also a guy that comes in and can't help but try to compete. So whether, even if he's totally. targeting the Olympics, I don't think he's going to throw away a chance at the tour if he can have something there. So it will be interesting to see his first foray into that. And uh, Tim Murley or even Philipson, uh, you know, they've, they've won some races this year, so especially Tim. Uh, I don't know how, you know, he didn't do the whole Giro. He came out of that early. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they stack up early on as some of those sprints. That's all I have. Yeah, and, yeah, no, they'll be great. And it's a good combo. I'm curious if if in their team they run into any trouble or confusion with, like, who to pick on the day because they're both darn good sprinters. And, and yeah, like Merlier, I mean, he won a stage for them at the Giro, first sprint day. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. And then on the flip side, you've got, um, Philipson, he won Shelter Priest. Um, he took a stage, two stages at the Tour of Turkey, um, won the points classification there. So it's like, who do you back? You know, do you kind of go on the day? I think Trek Segafredo kind of runs into these debates every right. now and again as right. well. Um, but they're absolutely going to feature. I mean, aside from Matthew Vanderpool, I think between those other two guys, they're good for a stage win between them uh, at some point as well. So for the first year uh, in the World Tour, Alpecin Phoenix is, is definitely put on a good show so far. And 
um, we have a lot more to look forward to as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've, I've enjoyed them. Uh, now we go to the big team. So UAE team, Emirates, defending champ, obviously on that team. We'll rattle off him real quick here. Rui Costa, Rafa Micah, Brandon McNulty, Mark Hershey, Davide Formolo, Mikhail Berg, Tade Pogacar, and Vigard Stake Langen. That's the only one I didn't recognize too much uh, from Norway. He sounds like a might be a big motor. But uh, looks like a pretty solid team there to be uh, backing uh, Tade. Yeah, I, and and love seeing McNulty on there. Right. Absolutely deserves a spot for UAE. He's riding super well, super strong, and love to see that. I mean, uh, this is my take. UAE Emirates, you've got the, the reigning Tour de France champion, and you know your biggest risk is getting exposed and, and beaten by stronger teams in the mountains. This team is definitely better than they were last year, but it's still not a Yumbo Visma, and it's certainly not an Ineos. Right. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, the biggest risk to Tadej Pogacar is still his teams um, leaving him exposed, especially when we get to NAO. So we've got multiple options, at least with you know, against Jumbo Visma, they're all in for, for ROG. So it's like, they, they there's only so much they could do against you. But when you look at an NAO, they can throw a lot at you if you're exposed and Rafael Micah, he's good. That's his super domestique. Um, I, I think that's meant to be a super domestique. Um, He's not, he's not what he used to be. Uh, he's solid, but there are going to be moments in this race where, where Tade is going to be exposed. Yeah, you know, uh, Rafa's won, I think, the King of the Mountains jersey there when he was with mm-hmm. uh, the Russian uh, oligarch uh, team. Or was that? <laughs> I forget what the, but, you know, Rui Costa is not what he used to be as a former uh, world champion. But I think, and, and Hershey's somewhat of a question mark so far this year from what he was last year. And we'll get to DSM about his former team, about how they just don't look at anything like what last year was. But, you know, Formolo, he was kind of a, a washout earlier. Uh, and, but McNulty, I, I think he's got better support this year than last year. But last year he had Team Jumbo Vismet for that support. So um, I think he's, uh, yeah. he's probably looking pretty good. Any predictions? Yeah, and there was the... Go ahead. Uh, pred- predictions on what? Uh, go ahead. We'll do all that later. Okay. Um, yeah, and the one thing that's kind of working against UAE, just from kind of a Team Mojo perspective... I don't know if you caught the tour of the Basque country when uh, McNulty was in the leader's jersey going to the final day and they got separated and they had Hershey up the road and uh, McNulty, it was a very mountainous day, very hilly day. McNulty cracked, Tade was exposed. Hershey tried to drop back and bring it back. And it was just like, it was a total flub. It was a very poorly executed Mm -hmm. day. Uh, by UAE. It was a master class. And to make it worse, it was a master class by Jumbo Visma with Vingard and and Roglic. And they ended up jumping up the podium for the win and putting Vingard on the, on the podium. Um, so they haven't, even with what they've got, it's good. It's not great, but they haven't shown very well together. Yeah. So you just got to hope that they can put it all together during the race. Right. Well, you know, some teams can take situations like that and, and learn from them. And uh, it didn't seem to me that they came out of that pointing fingers so that's at least a, a help no they didn't no not at all not at all which is good yeah okay um truck sigafredo a team that as you mentioned doesn't always know what they're doing and this tour i, I can't imagine that uh nibbly is their their guy you got back edward toins uh didn't he just get second in belgian time trial i think is that was uh, Matt- by, by a wheel toss the road race against road race. van art okay oh, he might have might have on the tt as well i'm not sure no, um, no, it was a road race. No, no, he wasn't on the TT. Yeah, it was the road race. Yeah, um, yeah, wheel toss by Van Ert got him. So he's in good form. Yeah, he is, is. Which is good to see. Mads Patterson, former world champ. Tom Squeens, uh, Jasper Stoyven, 
Nibali, Julian Bernard, Kenny Ellison. So a solid team of everyone you name there. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They could all do something. But what are they going to do? Uh, well, as it relates to the GC, I think it's going to be really quiet. Like you pointed out, Nibali, Shark lost his bite. You know, if we want to use funny, funny uh, analogies. Right. But on the sprints, they could be dangerous. And it, everyone's been shockingly quiet about Mads Peterson. He's had a relatively quiet spring, and he hasn't really done much in the last month or so. But ever since he was world champion, he's gotten better and better. Yeah. And he quietly gets in the mix on like difficult, muscly sprints. He was second on that horrific stage in Nice last year to open the Tour de France. Yeah. He was second on the Champs-Élysées. There are going to be a couple times on these when guys are tired that he's going to absolutely be in the mix. And um, when he and Stoyven ride together, they, they actually can be quite effective. So they're, between those guys, I definitely see them taking, a, taking at least a stage. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that because uh, any one of them could surprise you. Squeens could get in a, in a break. Uh, Kenny Ellison can climb just well. And you never know. You just never know with uh, Vincenzo Nibali. So. Uh, and Baca Molimar. I mean, you know, he makes squeak out a top five. You know, sometimes he just does that. Uh, Team Diaz. Yeah. yeah. He was so good. Yeah, Boak was so good in the spring. I mean, I, I know he's often a, a strong rider in the spring. He was so good earlier this year that, um, yeah, I think they're for, for their climber guys, Throw him out in a break late. They could right. Boke Malama, definitely a guy who can win from a break. Um, I would love to see it. He so, has, yeah, I think they, they, they've got options. He might have too much credibility to allow him to early on be a stage hunter. He'll have to lose time yeah. and then go out because otherwise you just don't let Baka Malama necessarily get up the road. You never know what can happen. Yeah. Uh, Team yeah. DSM, Mark Donovan, Soren Kraut Anderson, Case Bull, Nils Eikhoff, Casper Pedersen, Tish Benut, Joris Neuwenhaus, Josh uh, Sutterlane. So I do not see the the powerhouse that we saw last year. But then again, if I were reading the names last year with you know uh, Sunweb, uh, I would not have known Mark Hershey and some of these others. So yeah, you know I don't know if he they've got the, the mojo. What do you think? Yeah, I mean last year he was the he was the darling of the whole thing, and yeah, it's kind of interesting. So like Soren Crow, you know, because because he took a couple stages last year. Yeah. He he's definitely the one that returns that you look at and you're like, okay, he's he's on similar form. The thing is when you look at his wins, and, and I I don't mean to say this to discredit his wins, but these were he was in a smaller selection in the front, there was attack, 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 everything got responded to, except for his attack. And when he attacked, nobody responded. And a lot of that is having the legs to go the distance and carry it to the finale. Yeah. And a lot of it is how marked you are as a rider. And he was not a marked rider last year. And so, you know, if that happens again, where he's in those breaks and he goes, is he going to be a marked rider this year where they're like, nope, we've seen this movie before. Don't let this guy go. He actually has the legs to take it to the finish. We got to close this down. Um, Cause that's going to be the difference between, winning and losing because he doesn't necessarily have that bunch sprint capability, but he can go from a couple K's out and, and take the win. Yeah, yeah, totally with you. So they, you never know what they, and you know, everyone talked about last year, how they have this team and what, you know, the, the structure and everything, that's what's causing them to get all these wins. Well, we'll see if they, they pull that through, if that's really just what it is or if it was uh, something else. Uh, Jumbo Visma. Uh, let's pull this back up here. See if we can see this. Uh, Jumbo Visma. Roglic, Tony Martin, Wout Venert, Mike Tineson, Robert Hessink, Jonas Vingegaard, Stephen Corey'swick, and Sepp Kuss. So I think personally that this is one of the strongest GC teams. Uh, 
definitely in the tour and definitely I think it's stronger than last year uh, bringing mm -hmm. in Kreuzwick. Now he had Dumoulin, which was obviously a big deal, but you just look at this. I don't see any real, I mean, they have the guys to bury it on the flats. Uh, you know, Mike Tunison. I mean, Wout could do everything. So what's your take mm -hmm. on that? Stacked. Totally agree. I think a lot of people will look at this team without Tom Dumoulin and think, okay, no Tom Dumoulin, it's, it's a worse team. But to your point, you've got Kreutzvik in there this year and uh, Vingegaard, Vingegaard is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. I mean, he's won stages in his own right. He was amazing for Roglic last year in the Vuelta. Yes. So, um, you know, neither of them, I, I wouldn't say either of them are better than Dumoulin, but you're, you're taking one away and you're adding uh, two really strong riders there that are um, absolutely going to add a lot of value. And separately, I'm excited to see Mike Toynison back. I, one of the most kind of surprising but exciting moments was right. when he won stage one of 2019 right. leading out Grotevagen Grotevagen yeah. crashed and then he's just like all right screw it I'll go for it and he won it over Peter Sagan it was just such a fun you know unexpected thing and he carried the jersey a couple of days so absolutely stacked team yeah and so the the Jonas edition uh as you said he came through in the in the Vuelta uh the the problem that you saw somewhat of last year was this struggle with Dumoulin trying to figure out, am I really riding for GC as kind of a second tier or am I giving it all to the team? And I don't think he, he did any disservice to the team, but you can see that kind of play out and maybe that came about in different ways we don't know. You're not going to see that mm -hmm. here. I don't see uh, Kreuzwick, who's been on the podium, I don't see him coming up and going, uh, it's really my chance. Um, he just doesn't seem like that kind of rider. I could be totally wrong. I'm just reading <laughs> reading the tea leaves here. But so I see a team that's maybe more um, solidified around Roglic than ever. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And particularly because, and, and I found this surprising, but last year when, when Dumoulin sacrificed himself and, you know, he, he was like, all right, I'm going to take the front, lost a couple minutes. It was kind of in the middle of the second week. Uh, Kreuzvik, who, as we know, wasn't in the race, actually made public comments saying, Dumoulin, y'all shouldn't you shouldn't have done that. And right. he shouldn't have and whether it was like he shouldn't have been asked to do it or he should have done it on his own accord. And for somebody not in the race, that is a relatively controversial comment to make about your own team's tactics. So I have to imagine if he was either wanting split duties or to be option one A if something was to go wrong with with Roglic, because I think there's a fair debate, should it be him or should it be Vingegaard? Um, we might have heard some inklings about that. Unless that comment last year just got absolutely squashed and they did some, you know, internal discussions right. about things we do and don't discuss. But um, I, I think you're I think you're right on that one. It's it's all in for Rog. Um, which we'll which see. which I could be um, uh, Kreuzwick's uh, reason for saying that, which is uh, don't take your you're going to help him more by staying and trying to fight up front and being that extra guy. Even if you're not going to be there later on, it may just cause mm. some disturbance where if you make a move, you know. They have to watch you as well, or maybe mm. I don't know. Really, I'm just reading into all these things once again. Um, yeah, into the next do. team, uh, Aniel's Grenadiers. I mean, <laughs> Thomas Van Barl, Roe, Castro Viejo, Kwiatkowski, Port, Gegenhart, Carapaz. So you have Carapaz, he's won some Giro's. Uh, a Giro was on the podium, the Volta. Gegenhart won the uh, Giro last year. You had Port in the top three of the tour. Kwiatkowski's done everything. Um, I solid team once again with uh, I, I assume Garrett Thomas as the lead what do you know about that well I'm curious for your your just like litmus take on this a lot of folks say that there are four leaders for Ineos between uh, Gagenhart 
Kara Potts, Garrett, and Richie Port. I, I don't see it that way, but no. how do you interpret it? Well, no, I, I think Richie Port made it clear last year that he was not coming here for anything other than to be support. That's why he went over to Ineos. I think he's got his top three. He's like, I'm out. Now that could change. Uh, I don't think Gegenhardt's ridden at all like he was showing last year to be uh, an overall threat. Um, Kwiatkowski is never going to care. He just wants to bury himself till he has to walk. Um, <laughs> and who else? Ben Barl? Uh, but because I'm saving Carapaz for last. Carapaz is the outlier. Um, he, to me, is one of the most exciting riders you have out there. His ability to attack. And when he, you know, was it Perinese where he's attacking in the big green and just over and over? I mean, it was brutal to watch and to watch him last year in the Vuelta do the same thing, come up short, but still really be, he to me is kind of your, your next step. Uh, and you can see him as maybe a surprise if Garrett Thomas stumbles. So I see two possibles. Um, it depends on where Carapaz is at because I think he gets his own due, whatever he wants. So uh, I still see it as not a problem. Yeah. Um, so similarly, don't really believe that there's four leaders. I think it's between G and, and Richie Carapaz. I think in the eyes of the team, G is is slightly favored and will get some of the special special treatment. And I found it really interesting. I read, and by read, I mean I listened to it on Audible, um, Garen's book, uh, the, the Tour According to G, about his 2018 tour. Okay. And like that was, you know, Froome, you know, if Froome was going to go for something like Froome had carte blanche, but G was like the protected rider. But even as the race unfolded, the team was doing, th- and it became clear that G was the strongest, most likely to win their best shot at winning the tour. They would still do things that favored Froome. And it was like, you know, one night the, the hotel had like one air conditioner and they gave it to Froome and, and they let him attack on Von two, which could have disrupted, you know, G's cadence when, when he eventually went on to win that stage. So I could see them for the history of G's time with the program, his history of winning the tour being Ineos's 1A. We want we are going to do the little things to to support and protect G. But I don't think Richie Carapaz cares one wink about, about any of that. No. And I think when you get to the stages that really suit him like that really steep uh climb in Andorra and then stage 17, they got to send him up the road. Like when he's ready to attack he's got to go because that's where he can, that's his chance to win the tour de France. That's um, and if he's got the legs, he's, he's going to go regardless of whether G is in the yellow Jersey or not. Even if G is in the yellow Jersey, the Ineos team might say, Hey, Richie, you gotta, you gotta sit there and you gotta lead G up this mountain. Cause he's in position to win the tour. I think he'll say, screw you guys. I'm going to go attack. Cause I can win the tour. I would, I would absolutely expect that of him. So you see a little more strife coming along the, the road for these two. I see strife if Carapaz, if G is in the yellow jersey or ahead of Carapaz heading into stage 17, but Richie Carapaz is within a minute and a half, I see strife because he's going to feel that that's striking distance when he heads into his strongest point of the race, which would be stages 17 and 18. I, I totally could see that, and I, I'm looking forward to that possibility. Uh, I will say, <laughs> I, I've, Garrett Thomas is definitely on a different level than he was last year. And it looks more to me along the lines of his, you know, I don't want to say 2019, but um, but closer to 2019, 2018. So. Yeah. And G had some stumbles along the way. Like he's fallen off his bike twice, which looked super dopey. But even when he did that at the Dauphiné, 
on the last stage, he was able to get back on, right. catch back up to Richie Port, and lead it into the into the finale. He said he, he there was that really awkward time trial in the Dauphiné too, where the where like Alexei Lutsenko won, you know, yeah. and Astana went one two, and a lot of guys like just absolutely mistimed it. I think that was a one-off mistake. I think G's in, like you said, tour shape similar to what he was when he won the tour in 2018 and, and when he was second in, in 2019. I think he's I think he's right there. Right. You're not seeing him like uh, when he came into uh, the Tour of Switzerland or, or Tour de Suisse going up to the tour and he hadn't shown much at all and he kind of shows some okay. I mean, he's been on close to form this whole time. So it's it's a, totally. it's a different, different lifestyle. Um, totally. And, and Romandy when he yeah. won Romandy and he went up that final climb with Mike Woods, he probably, I should he would have been neck and neck to win the stage when he popped his hand off in the rain, but like he's done it in all weather conditions, in all disciplines. He won that long distance, one kilometer attack. Yeah. Like he's, he's done it all. Like that's a very well-rounded thing for G and before that win. And he might've had two wins if he didn't fall off his bike in Romandy. He hasn't won since Von two in the 2018 tour. So oh. he's showing that he's back in that form. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, let's go here to the next team. We'll keep moving along. Team Quebec assholes. Cool. I don't really see much uh, as far as overall. I mean, they have Campanarts. He could, uh, <laughs> he had a decent, what is it, Gerald he did there? Sergio Hanau, Max Walsheed, Sean Bennett, uh, USA. So we got him going in there. Simon Clark, yeah, Nicholas no, Damali, Mike Gogles, Carlos Barbera. Yeah, no GC here. Just send him in the break. I mean, Campanarts, absolutely. I mean, he took a stage. Uh, Giro, you know, you got to like his odds. If you get him in a break, send Simon Clark as well. Even Michael Gogol has an outside shot. Yeah. But between Campanarts and Clark, uh, they should just be sending those guys up the road yeah, as you, much as they can. And I think, you know, Sergio Hanau, at least back in the day, you get some climbing going in, maybe a climbing break day. So I could see that with him. Uh, team Movie Star, Mark Soler, Valverde, <laughs> Ivan Garcia, Imanol Everti, Enrique Moss, Carlos Verona, Jorge Arcas, Miguel Angel Lopez. So Lopez... Uh, Moss, uh, Valverde, Soler. There's your four-headed monster that you were talking about. With uh, that's the one. So much fun. I mean, you like look at this team, and you know, you think back. You're like, well, how could they? You can't have more drama. And it's no. like, oh, you're gonna throw Soler back in the mix on this right. one after 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 the Giro. Like, oh my God, you're absolutely gonna have a little bit of drama. But um, look, I am very impressed with where Miguel Angel Lopez is. He had a very tough off season. He had COVID. He was off the bike for like six months and he was kind of in a bad headspace. He was like, I just, I'm not enjoying the bike. And then he comes back and he's just crushing it. And like, you can't forget, he won the hardest stage of the Tour de France last year. He won the Vontu Deneville challenge a couple weeks ago. And look, it wasn't, they didn't have the stacked lineup that no. they had last year. Last year, just because of the way racing was with COVID, they had a much deeper lineup there. Right. But still, he won it. It's fresh in his mind. He's going to be going over it, tw- going over it twice in two weeks from now. Um, so you really got to like his odds to be as good as he was last year in the Tour de France. So I think he probably finishes top for for movie star. So Superman Lopez is your pick for um, at least movie stars uh, for but. Uh, Assuming he doesn't crash, that's. A <laughs> yeah, if he stays on his, as long as he doesn't superman into a sign or off a speed bump on his tri bike, right. he he's my pick to be the best finisher of Movistar. But I am going to give Movistar a lot of credit. Uh, you look at Enric Moss, really slow start to the season. Like he's done just about nothing. I forget if it was one of the Spanish races. Was it Catalonia? He was in uh, Valencia. He was in position to win Valencia, and then he got a flat 
uh, in the time trial and, and lost it. And he was throwing his bike around. He was very upset, which I like to see. Uh, oh, of course. But I looked back. He had a horrible lead into his year last year. He did nothing before the Tour de France and then rode himself into fifth on the Planche de Belfie. He finished fifth in the Vuelta. So I was like, okay, look, this is just a Grand Tour guy. This is a Grand Tour GC guy. He needs all three weeks. And somehow after three weeks, he'll be in the top 10. So I, I also do expect Enric Moss to show up in the top uh, 10 again as well. And then um, I'm going to give my floater my floater choice. And I have to do it because I committed to it after uh, after he won a stage uh, this, the Dauphiné stage, but I, I'm pegging Alejandro Valverde for 10th place. Oh, wow. Well, of course you would. Uh, not because of anything. <laughs> you, I mean, it's just not a bad pick. I, I'm really going with um, Enric Moss as their top, I think, above and beyond. Uh, the problem you have with uh, Lopez is he's got some ups and downs. Uh, Moss, his progression, able to, you saw in the tour, you saw it in the Vuelta, mm-hmm. you saw in the Vuelta uh, a few years before that as well. Uh, when he was with Quick Step, he just gets better and better and better. And I think he has that ability um, and he shows a lot of teeth when he's really hurting. I don't know if you've seen that smile, but he's all yeah. teeth. All right. That's yeah, no, I, look, that's right. Because look, he stinks in these stage races. He can't do a week long yeah. stage race. He doesn't have time to put it together. You're, you're spot <laughs> right. on. He needs all three weeks. Right. He needs all three weeks. Yeah, that's the way to put it. Uh, team Bike Exchange. I mean, I hope for these guys all the time. You've got Chavez, Joel Jensen, Simon Yates. Lucas Hamilton, Luke Durbridge, uh, Almon Janssen, Michael Matthews, Luka Medchik. Uh, solid team there, but who's going to be – are you going to finally see Chavez or Yates coming through, or is it Lucas Hamilton's turn? Uh, this is a wonky one because, I mean, Lucas Hamilton, I'd say like let him ride however he wants to ride and go for GC because – I think a lot of us got excited about Esteban Chavez. Yeah, he said he was in shape to win the tour. He had some great races. Uh, he uh, he was second on that uh, in Catalonia, second on the Valter 2000 stage to yeah. I think it was Adam to Adam Yates. He won the mountain stage the next day, and you're like, oh my god, this guy's going going great. Right. He's back. But then he's like, he's kind of stunk. He did not look good in the Tour de Suisse. He launched an early attack on uh, the penultimate day, didn't work out. Tenth overall in GC at the Tour de Suisse. Like that's just not the trajectory. You know, of somebody who's gonna who's gonna place uh, well into the top ten. So big question mark there. And then and then Simon, also you know, look third in the GC at the Giro, but like coming back off the Giro is always really difficult, and you don't pay for that until the third week. But I don't think you want to place your bet there and risk Hamilton if Simon Yates might not have good legs right. in the final week. So I don't know. I mean, I, you know, that Jero, sorry to go back to that. That was such an interesting how uh, the last few, you know, top three, four guys there uh, would, well, you could throw Almeida as one of those, but uh, Yates, Almeida, um, who was second place? Uh, Damiano Caruso and yeah, Bernal. You know, they're all like crushing at different points, you know, in the in the end and then kind of having some suffer days as well. Uh, and, you know, Yates, I was fully expecting him to come in. You know, you saw Bernal suffering and then he was coming up and you expected that and it just didn't come through. Um, always looking for him to finally break through on one of these, but uh, besides the, the the Vuelta, but we'll see. I think Yates hates the he hates the rain. He mm. he stunk on all the bad weather days in the in the Giro, and then when the weather cleared up in the final week, he was great. Except for uh, the and then the only stage in the last week that he wasn't that great on was in uh, Cortina, which was raining. So look, if the sun's out, guns out for Simon Yates. All right, let's let's cruise along here. I won't belabor everybody here Lotto Sudal obviously the Caleb Ewan show I don't see much uh, other than that um, it looks like all in for him what do you think yep 100% question is do you think he finishes the tour 
His goal is to win in all three Grand Tours this year. Do you think he finishes? Uh, no. If that's his goal, uh, when we saw what Von Two can do, so I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll is, bet. I'll bet yes. Okay. But I, I, I wait, think wait. this is the only Grand Tour. I think it's the only Grand Tour he will finish this year. Okay. I think he will drop out of the Vuelta after he takes his stages. Uh, Israel Startup Nation. Um, it looks like they're going in for Woods here. A decent team with climbers of Martin um, Froome, maybe. Uh, my my question with Froome is, and I, I think um, bringing Froome is actually can be a plus. Um, you saw if he's dedicated to Woods, he would be a superb road captain and giving some great insights along the road there. Um, evidently, he did a lot of good work with. Um, I'm trying to remember what was a gentleman with he rode with Ineos last year. He was uh, he came back from doing triathlons. He's an Australian guy. Anyway, there was an interview with him after the Vuelta said that Froome changed his mindset to being a worker. And he's like, he was really impressed with, with kind of the change and transformation he did in the Volta last year. So if he's got that mindset, I think it would be a quality uh, to have him there alongside Woods I, or a shit show. Yeah. Uh, it, I had a good Cameron Worf. Yes. The, there you go. Thank the you. Guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, when we were talking at the beginning of the season, I, I went back to when we did our spring show and I looked, what were the crazy bets that we made? Cause well, I knew we were wrong on most of them. And one of them was, will Israel startup nation place somebody on the podium at a grand tour. And at that time we're thinking maybe it's Froome. It was like, maybe they will. And if they do, it's, it's Dan Martin or Chris Froome. Little did we know or ever imagine that it'd be Mike Woods going for GC. Right. So, um, Look, the guy's awesome. He can't time trial to save his life, but he's been absolutely climbing with the best of them in all conditions. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna chalk him up. I'm gonna ride this, ride this bet. I, I said he'd have a big season. I think he's gonna, he's continuing to show it, and I'd like to see him. And and I do think he has a shot and will place in the top ten. But that's, uh, that's the only result. Send Dan Martin up the road, try to steal another stage, just like he did in the Giro. And um, that's, that's pretty much all we're gonna, we're all gonna see out of them. We'll probably see Froome in like two breakaways, but he, I don't think he's got the legs to, to finish it this year. No, uh, I did see uh, Flow Bikes had a, a little inter- interview with uh, Mike Woods, and he said he's really improved his time trial. And he's like, I just did a time trial. I got 30th. He's like, I've never broken the top 50. He goes, I know that sucks, but it, for me, at least it shows improvement. I'm like, okay, uh, you're, you're taking the Chavez, everything's a rosy approach, which is uh, just fine. Um, yeah, one of the other things we talked about was would Froome win a stage or a race before Cavendish? And we were both like, oh, no brainer. And then Cavendish <laughs> comes out with like a bunch of wins. Uh, we were so wrong on that one. Right. So Gru- wrong. Groupama FDJ. Uh, the one I'm most excited to see there is David Gadu. I think he's kind of an up and comer. No Pinot. So what's happening with them? It's the changing of the guard. That's it. No, yeah. This straight swap Pinot for David Gadu. And the question is, um, how high do you think David Gaudu can place in the GC? Uh, I, definitely a top 10 without problem. But uh, getting this top seven is going to be tough with the, unless people will get injured with who the who we have going in this race. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Tough to get in the, up well into the top 10. I think he's going to be right around the rim on, with, the, on the top 10. With two um, flattish time trials, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, he's not strong enough there. And it's kind of a bummer that Look, I love seeing Ardo Demar here. I right. coming into this season after what he did at the Giro yeah. last year, my one of my big bets was like Arno Demar could take the green jersey. Looks even better for him now that Sam Bennett's not in it. So I think it's going to be really tight between Demar, uh, Peter Sagan, and I think Sonny Cabrelli now has a, has a decent shot at this. Just the way that Bahrain and and he himself are riding, coming off winning the Italian Road Race last week, yeah. he's definitely got 
um, a shot to get in the mix, but it's a split train. So like David Gaudu isn't properly protected to like really protect him into a, a solid top 10 spot. And then DeMar doesn't have his full train. So they're, they're running themselves a little bit thin. I uh, agree. Uh, EF education uh, starts out. We've got our American in there uh, for me, local Nelson palace. Uh, looks yeah. like they're going to be running with Rigoberto Uran, but they have a solid team. Guerrero's, uh, you know, had a good year last year, a good one this year. Mm-hmm. Stefan Bessinger went in time trials, and I'm thinking the reason you bring him in is to try to get one of these time trial wins for your team there. It kind of sparks everything off. Jonathan Roosh, Sergio Higuita, Cor- Cor- uh, Magnus Court, Michael Valgren. Solid team of, I don't know, uh, if, if Rigoberto really gets into, into the top and he's riding like he did a few years ago, um, you don't really have the team to support him there on the climbs. But then again, he's kind of the guy that just hides and buries himself behind the big trains and doesn't really need mm-hmm. that. So I think they're uh, not too bad. Probably some stage wins. Yeah, very defensive. Yeah, for Rigo, solid defensive riding. That's his. That's his how he rolls. Um, definitely see him in the top ten. Uh, totally agree on Bisiger. Look, you got no Filippo Ghana. You got no Rohan Dennis. Flat, powerful time trials behind Stefan Kung, Wout Van Aert. He's probably the next big bet. So definitely can get on the podium of those two stages and has a definitely has an outside shot to to potentially steal one. All right, uh, Dequani Quick Step. We know about Alaphilippe. Will he ever be a GC guy at a tour? As far as like threaten the overall past stage eighteen or nineteen, I don't know. He's there. He's going to probably win some stages. But then it looks like it's all set up for Cavendish, Ballerini, Asgreen, Catano, De- Devinens, Morkov, De Klerk. I mean, uh, rollers on the midfield and big punchers on the on the sprints. So. Yeah, this, look, Michael Morkow at the end of the day is the best in the business. So, yeah. look, Cavendish is going to be delivered, to, and it's just going to be a matter if he can finish. We came into this season saying, like, no chance Cavendish wins, but, look, on this parkour, they say there's eight sprint stages. I think he's got a shot at seven of them, and I, I hope and I'm going to bet that he snags one. And, the, like, it'll be my third emergency podcast for Mark Cavendish <laughs> this season if and when it happens, but I'd be absolutely delighted to uh, to see it. What do you think? Uh, uh, no, are we going to reverse our both reverse our bets? I've been I I was critical of his wins uh, wins uh, at the when did he come out and had like uh, four or five wins there in a row? You know that one stage the race t- season? tour of Turkey. Thank yeah. you because it was the tour of Turkey and who he was going against. And then there you know some arguments either way. But I'm like a win's a win, so uh, I should probably you know just let it go. Uh, and then he keeps winning. So there you go. Right. Let me just read the top. Let me just read the top ten from the stage he won at the Belgian Tour. This is the result of the final stage: Cavendish, Merlier, Ackerman, Gronewegen, Buhani, Brian Cocard, uh, Skip Two, and Caleb Ewan. Yeah. Okay. That's real sprinters. No, no. I, I, once again, I, I said Tour of Turkey, and then he comes out after, and I've, I've really got nothing to say anymore. Uh, so, look, so wait, good what's your bet? Is he going to win? Is he going to win? Uh, Cavendish, well, if he's in the tour, he will find a way to win. I remember, you know, a few years ago right. when he was with Quebec and they're like, oh, he's got nothing. And he pulls out, what, five wins or something. So um, he's a, <laughs> he's quite amazing like that. But, you know, you've got uh, decent sprinters coming in here. Uh, so you never know. Uh, Kofidis, do we have much? I mean, Jesus Harada, he can climb okay. Christophe Laporte, Martin, uh, Guillaume Martin, he's probably the only one. Uh, he's probably going to go f- try to get his top 12 again. Yeah, that's his that's his claim to fame. Last year, he looked really strong in the preseason. I had him well inside the top ten. He Same. didn't get there. I think he finished twelfth again, so just left it there. Um, I don't see him improving on that with the field that we have here. I see him outside the top ten. I think their best shot at a result is Christophe Laporte. Uh, has the the capability to finish top three in a stage, but um, 
that's probably about it. I don't right. know if he can stand a win. Uh, Bora Hansgrohe, uh, Peter Sagan, obviously for the green jersey, and then what is it? Wilco Kelderman is that or Emmanuel Bachman? Uh, Patrick Conrad, who's their who's their big GC guy? They've yeah, they've defined Wilco as their GC guy after his fourth place at the Dauphiné. I don't really love it. I even though. Emmanuel Bookman crashed out of the Giro. I think he's the better overall rider. I mean, he was fourth at the at the tour a couple of years ago. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we see kind of like what happened with DSM at the Giro, where they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna back um, uh, uh, what's his face who got second uh, who got second last year, and Bardet's gonna work for him, and then Bardet ends up uh, Jai, Hindley, Jai Hindley, and then yeah. Bardet ends up being better than him. I, I could see that happening between these two, where they're like, "Oh, we're gonna back Wilco," but then by the end of it, uh, so long as um, uh, Bookman's in, in good form that he actually ends up placing placing higher. And and you know what they can do that because they are kind of the uh, best hope to be like a top five. So you know you just yeah. kind of you're not going to necessarily having to support each other. You're just kind of like hanging on defensively, kind of like the Rigoberto Iran type thing. Totally, yeah. They're both sitting. And the only other thing on Bora was there was a surprising amount of drama about Ackerman not being selected to the tour. Yeah. And I, I was just surprised to see that because it's kind of a no-brainer. Ackerman hasn't won this year. He's. I don't think he's even got a second place. Maybe one second place. He's barely squeaking top threes. Sagan, unlike last year, has four wins under his belt. He's looking closer to 2019 form. Maybe probably still not exactly there, but but better on a relative basis than he was last year. And he's trending up and Ackerman's trending down. So I, I don't see how they could have, anybody would have ever put them on the same team. It's kind of like the Decoinic debate. Oh, is it Sam Bennett or and Cavendish? No, you can't have both. You got to, you just got to take right. the better of the two. And that is still Peter Sagan. Is Bennett injured? Is that the reason he wasn't picked? Oh my God. I've heard everything about it, right? So he had a small knee injury that slightly impacted his training. And he said, while he's okay, he didn't have the training in his legs to perform at his best. So we've heard everything. Okay. It is an injury. It, it, you know, Lefevre's like, you know, he's just weak, mind, you know, weak minded and it's in his head. And so he's chickening out. I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Um, but you know, I, I guess we don't, we don't know. We won't really know. All I do know is that imagine if Bennett did go to the tour, they left Cavendish home and then Bennett dropped out with an injury <laughs> right. and to sitting there with no sprinter and Cavendish on the, on the couch on the Isle of man. The people would be very upset about that. The people. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, Bahrain victorious does not bring Padun. I don't know if he gained too much weight from the last uh, stage wins he had there, doubles. Um, <laughs> but they bring Dylan Toons, Pelo Bilbao, Fred Wright, Matteo Morick, Walt Poles, Jack Haig, Marco Heiler, Sonny Cabrelli. Sonny Cabrelli, like you said, um, winning some stages recently. Uh, Italian champion, I take it. Is that what you said? Yep. Exactly. Uh, Pillow Bilbao is kind of my new um, favorite, the way he d- climbs going serpentine up to climbs. But um, no Padoon. What do you think of uh, not bringing him on the race? Horrible mistake. Absolutely horrible mistake. Him and Gino Mater, both Mater, like revelations yeah. of right. of this year. And it's like, how could you th- – These were they were set up to be like DSM last year where like people right. like Padoon, who nobody ever heard of, he won the two hardest stages of the Dauphiné. Are you kidding me? Like, who, who won stage of the Dauphiné last year? Oh, Danny Martinez. Well, then he won a stage. You know, it's like, oh, Sepp Kuz. Everyone knows that guy. Uh, David A. Formolo. Everyone knows that guy. So how do you not run this guy at the Tour de France? And, like, then you – know, so people said, like, oh, well, it wasn't part of his training plan, this, that, the other thing. It's like, look, you don't have Mikel Landa. Just send him. Like, what are you doing? Right. It's a no-brainer for me that that Padoon and Bader should both be here. Would have been absolute fan favorites. 
they've got chances with these guys. It's still a good team, but a huge, huge mistake as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, it, and you look at Padun's uh, win when he dropped Sep, which was, first of all, impressive. I think, you know, climbing top to bottom, he was still, because I think, was he in the break? I'm trying to remember that, but it was one of those days where, I mean, his time, he did not lose to the guys chasing behind. He was putting it in, so. Yeah, on the last day where the, it was the two climbs, when he didn't lose any time from when he summited the penultimate climb to the to essentially to the finish line, and he did that whole bit solo. Yeah, that was impressive. Remarkable. Very, Very remarkable. Very good. Uh, yeah, so bumped about uh, both of those guys. And Mater, you know, maybe had a chance to pip Roglic back. So uh, uh, got Astana here, Guzdev, Lutsenko, Aranburu, Hulue, Deboed, Izagiri, Fraley, and Fulsong. Is, who's going for overall there? Or are they hope, even doing ho- it? I hope nobody. Yeah, I hope nobody. I, I don't see. Because, like, what, go for stages. Lutsenko's took one last year. I love fool saying, I would just love to see him. I, I don't want, what do we want to do? See him like snag a, a 10th, maybe, you know, go, go win a stage. Well, that didn't he say last so year that he's done going for the GC? I think he, he announced that last so. year. He's like, I'm not, I'm not doing GC stuff anymore. <laughs> probably, probably after his Giro performance last year, he's like, all right, I'm done with this. <laughs> right. Uh, and then AG2R, uh, Ben O'Connor, Oliver Nason. Uh, who else do we have? Michael Sharv, Greg Van Avernat, Nons Peters, who got a stage win last year. Bennett Kosefoy, um, you know, Ben Avermont, I mean, he's getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, still has maybe some chances there, but maybe Ben O'Connor is going to be their their guy this year. He is their guy. They said he's our GC guy. Is This has got to be really awkward for the fans of AG2R. I mean, this is like a super French team, and yeah. they've got an Australian coming in replacing Roman Bardet, who's been their steadfast GC guy right. for you know nearly the last decade. It's like, oh, this Aussie guy's in here being our GC hopeful. Just got to be a little bit weird. But, yeah, Ben O'Connor's solid. Um, yeah. Uh, he's definitely got potential. It's probably if he is just really riding GC, he's probably gonna be a little bit boring to watch. So um, hopefully they send some other guys in the break. It'd be great to see Van Avermaet just get out in as many breaks as he could and and hopefully pull one more off before he kind of moves into his swan song of his career. Right. So uh, we've gone through the teams. We've broken all those down for everybody. Um, now, what are your predictions for a few categories here? You've got uh, how about the green jersey? What do you think of there? Oh, I flip flop. I said I, I started the season saying Arno Demar, and he didn't come in with a lot of momentum, but he did just take a couple stages at uh, lower ranked pro race. And I'm gonna, and so I guess I'm gonna be a little controversial. I'm gonna say Arno Demar. I say Arno Demar finds a way to win the green jersey over Peter Sagan, and uh, Sonny Cabrelli third. See, I think Sonny Cabrelli really has a chance. I mean, uh, he's oh, he does. Yeah, he's been really impressive. Now, uh, just getting to the finish might be an issue of these sprinters getting through, but we've seen, you know, you always look at the climbs and like, how does anybody do this? And then they get there. So um, I'm still sticking with Peter Sagan, but uh, I think um, you're going to see, and totally depends on what plays out on the road, uh, but I think uh, Sonny Cabrelli is going to be my next best chance. And I'm sure uh, by stage two, I'll probably, they'll be out and I'll be wrong. So. No, he's so, look. That's a solid pick. Sonny Cabrelli is going to surprise a lot of people on the roads just based on what he's doing. I mean, look at if you looked at his results from, I mean, he had three second places and a win at the Dauphiné. I mean, he's all over the roads and not just against sprinters, but against punchers as well. So he's riding extraordinarily well. Which sprinter is going to win the most stages? Caleb Ewan. Caleb Ewan. Okay, um, I'm 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 down with that. Uh, is Peter Sagan going to win a stage? No. Okay. 
uh, is he's Wout, one green without he's one green without winning a stage. Right, right. Is Wout going to uh, win a stage? Um, yes. Okay. But it may well be the time trial because oh. he is on paper on that parkour probably the best. It's most similar to what we saw in Amola. Amola was what thirty-five kilometer pancake flat on the on the race course. Yeah. He was second. He beat Kung there. We've got no Ghana. I think technically on paper he is would be the favorite. So I'll, I'll I'm going to say yes to that. His other two shots are probably stages one and two, but I don't I don't know. Uh, that'd be he'd be cannibalizing Roglic's bonus points if he was to win over Roglic on like the stage two with the with the steeper pincher at the end. So I'm going to say yes, but it, probably not a road stage. Um, top American. Uh, first of all, will an American win a stage? Oh, I don't think so. I think you're right. Um, I think Nilsson Palace has a good chance. He, man, he gets in the breaks and he, he does this and then something just flops. So uh, we're hoping for him though. Well, I look last year was his first year out there and he was so much fun to watch and he's got a little bit more experience under his belt and they don't necessarily need him to protect Uran because by the time like where Uran needs the help, Palace may well have been dropped already. So his best bet, he could get out there and hunt stages. And I think they could give him a leash to do so, just like they sent him up the road last year a couple of times, even though Uran was well into the top 10. So I, I think he's probably got one of the best shots to do it. I agree. Um, so who's your pick for GC? What are we going to come right out here and, and just throw it out? Back-to-back Tade Pogaccia over Roglic. How close is this going to be? Uh it's going to be tight. I mean, inside two minutes for sure. Um, and maybe 90 seconds. It's going to come down to the gaps on the time trial. I think, I mean, other than that, you're not going to see much besides the time bonuses, unless something like catastrophic happens on the road or like, you know, a big shakeup on the crosswinds or something like that. I think it's going to be relatively a relatively tight tour. Who is going to be the biggest surprise this year? What's your prediction for that in a positive way? Well, I think from a team perspective, for anybody who's only loosely been following cycling, we've just seen so much from Bahrain that any results that they put up will continue to impress. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we were looking at Bahrain and joking about how they had the term victorious in their name, and now they're just absolutely lighting up the world tour. So I think from a team perspective, it's going to be Bahrain. I think from an individual perspective, uh, in the GC, it's going to be Mike Woods, because I don't think anybody would have expected... Mike Woods to be in the top 10. And I think he will be top 10 in the GC. Yeah, I, th- I am actually would not be shocked. Uh, he's made progression, uh, you know, one stages, obviously of the, the Vuelta. Uh, he's been up there, you know, world championships, so we can see it, but I seen him better and better on some of the, you know, one week, one week stage races type. So he's definitely improved himself. And so we'll see how it goes. Um, biggest disappointment. Do you think who's, what's your biggest flop prediction? Ooh, um, I've got a lot of snubs. I think a lot of guys who um, teams are banking on having in the top 10 are not going to make it. Um, but in terms of biggest flop, I see a lot of risk of David Gaudu making the top 10. I think uh, he's going to be around the hoop, but I think he's actually going to finish just outside, unfortunately. Not that I want to see it. And I think that'll be really disappointing. So if you look at the entirety of the base of cycling, I think that would probably be one of the most disappointing ones to not see him as the replacement for Pino not finish in the top 10. 
I'm picking, uh, and he was my green jersey winner, Sagan. He's also going to be the biggest flop potential. Ooh. So I think there's a good chance that he doesn't even, you know, uh, get on a podium and uh, just flops out. So that's kind of my prediction there. But as far as uh-huh. overall, I think um, I think Roglic is going to end up taking it this year. He's taking a just a prediction. He's taking a different approach going in. You know, last year, I mean, last year was just different in general. But he's been taking a bunch more time off. And um, I think his time trial is going to come in a little bit sharper than last year. Mm. And that could be the the big thing for him. Uh, Other than that, um, really don't have much for the overall. Uh, Tade will be up there. Uh, I think you're going to see a Carapaz in the top three instead of a G. Thomas. And Uh um, Iran will be the top five or top 50. I'm not sure which one. So you, but so it sounds like you also agree that Ineos is going to kind of go into the race, at least mentally with G as their one A over Carapaz, but you think Carapaz will end up being better than G on the overall GC? There's something about Carapaz's um, mentality and the way he races that he will um, barnstorm this thing at some point. I mean, you saw that in the Giro, right? When he came in with Landon. Totally. And he just took off and solos out. And, you know, did you ever watch the movie star uh, documentary thing on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, I did. That was fascinating to see such a mental breakdown from the prologue that Landa had. And he could not recover, it seemed like to me. I mean, he yeah. ends up, what, fourth? But um, just mentally was sh- just shit the bed with, <laughs> with yeah. Carapaz. And anyway, I think you're going to see a similar thing with Carapaz this time. Just yeah, he's going to he- overtake the race. He's a he's a bold face killer. He's a, a real competitor and he's tenacious and relentless. So yeah, I agree. He's gonna absolutely light it up. And it's gonna be really interesting when we get if it's gonna be fascinating if G is leading ahead of him when you get to some of those uh Queen-esque stages like Andorra and, and 17 and 18. Uh, because he's gonna go for it. He's gonna take his shot at glory. Yeah. Anything else you want to throw in before we I think we had a got a nice hour and a half here. No, I think that's it. It's going to be fun. This is what we this is what we wait for all year. So uh, look forward to enjoying it. And this is why I don't like the Champs Elysees race itself. The race is over. I'm disappointed. I want to see you know, <laughs> fireball happen and you know, want champagne in the mix. I don't know. I know we got so blessed last year. You know, it's like got to sit at home and watch it. Now we're going back to the office a little bit more. It's uh, you know we really got really got spoiled in the last year. So yeah, the Tour de France hangover is real. That it is. Well, Rob, I appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find you and uh, follow you and uh, about your podcast. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Tour Breakaway. You can find it on uh, – we got the Instagram at Tour Breakaway. This year I started a YouTube channel. So just like Tyler posts, you see me on the YouTube and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And I will, I will say this. I, I've been really busy, so this probably should never do this. But uh, Rob's usually posting more quality and more uh, timely info out there. So definitely check his show out, especially during the Tour de France, because uh, he'll probably come on in the morning right after the race, and he'll give you this breakdown of something that happened. So it's a good quality. Rob, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know you've been riding your bike, and so enjoy yourself out in the Northwest. For those who want to stalk him, that's where he'll be. Thank you, Tyler. Good good being on. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Take care, everybody. Between Two Wells podcast. Share the show, everybody. We love you. Bye.